Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chair of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. Super excited today to always have a new guest on, and we have Dr. Taha Kazi, a gastroenterologist and associate staff here at the Cleveland Clinic and within our own DDSI Institute. Sonny, welcome to Butts and Guts. Thank you for using that introduction, Dr. Steele. I really, really appreciate it. So we are going to talk a little bit today about pouch inflammation. But before we go into that, as all the listeners of our podcast know, we want to find out a little bit first more about you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where'd you train? And how did it come to the point that you're here at the Cleveland Clinic? I'm originally from Fort Wayne, Indiana, but I lived and did my early undergraduate and career at University of Michigan. After that, I did my medical schooling at Indiana University and then I did my early residency and fellowship in Boston, both at Boston University, and then I did an additional year as an advanced IBD fellow at Boston University as well. I was in the Brigham and Women's Hospital at Harvard for my GI fellowship, where I really got into inflammatory bowel disease as my main sort of career interest. A lot of it was based on sort of personal experience with my family members and also other people that I'm very close with friends. But in general, just a lot of good mentorship that I had while I was there. And then as I started working on inflammatory bowel disease, seeing patients get better and improve. I really felt a love for the, the management of this condition. I really came to really enjoy it. So when I was looking for places to train and looking for places to sort of make that next step in terms of my employment, I knew I wanted that same sort of mentorship, but I also knew that I wanted to take the next step as it came to understanding a good aspect of the disease. And I think in many ways, we're so, so much siloed in some of our medical field, but one of the amazing things about being at the Cleveland Clinic is having a colleague like yourself or all our surgical colleagues sitting right next to us and I think one of the things that Dr. Reguero, when he first approached me about this institution was, in many ways, our surgical colleagues make us better gastroenterologists. We make our surgical colleagues better surgeons. And I think that's really been the case since I've been here. And I think I've loved working here as a, as a result, and it's been a fantastic experience. And in doing so, I started working in patients with pouch and pouch disease, mainly as they sort of came into my clinic, but also, once again, through personal experience. And many of our patients do end up getting ileal anal pouches as a result of their disease, not only from IBD standpoint, but for a variety of conditions. So managing their conditions, managing their diseases was something that really struck me. Well, we are super excited to have you here. And I know this is an audio podcast, but Dr. Causey is wearing, unfortunately, the Michigan colors as a badger. I'm going to try to look away from him as I talk to him. So before we dive in a little bit about pouchitis and pouch inflammation, you know, we've had some topics on this in the past, if our listeners want to go back, but tell us a little about what is a pouch? Yeah. So it's, it's amazing because I think as a gastroenterologist, when I first started researching this condition, researching this idea, you start reaching the surgical landmarks that happened in Dr. Park's pouch when you sort of created and also the, the greats that have been at the Cleveland Clinic like Dr. Fazio. An ileal pouch is basically an internal intestinal reservoir where a part of the small bowel called the ileum is folded in on itself, sewn or stapled to the anus or rectum, which allows a patient to basically have voluntary control of their bowel movements, but also not have an ostomy. So it's a means for a patient to maintain the function of the anus and the anal sphincter mechanism, but also allows them to go to the bathroom through the natural orifice that they have. So pouch inflammation, pouchitis, what is that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think they call it so many things. It's basically the inflammation of this reservoir inside the body. And in many ways, it can be due to a variety of conditions. Sometimes we divide it into being secondary to a particular cause. So for example, secondary pouchitis is often related to medications like ibuprofen or NSAIDs, for example. In certain situations, it can be related to radiation. It can be related to dysfunction of the pouch itself. But most commonly, idiopathic pouchitis or primary pouchitis is 
We're not really quite sure why this happens, but it tends to happen in a good number of our patients as we sort of treat this condition at following their surgical intervention. So I'll jump in right on that last statement you're about to make. And truth or myth, up to 40% of patients who receive a pouch will have pouchitis at least once over the course of their lifetime. Yeah, so the older studies, the ones that we're sort of looking at through Dr. Fazio's work here, but also suggested that the incidence of pouch within the seven years of follow-up was about 40%. So at least a one bout of pouchitis within the first seven years for followership is actually seen. Most patients tend to develop pouchitis within the first two years of their pouch surgery, about half, as they say. Some patients do never develop pouchitis or develop pouchitis much later in their course of life. What we have found, though, recently, though, as in looking at sort of database studies from different countries, is that the incidence of pouchitis compared to the early years, 1996 to 2000, compared to 2008 to 2018, is rising. So initially, you're correct that many of our patients, 40% of developed pouchitis, but recently it looks like the number is about 55% as we're sort of seeing these days. So we've talked a lot about kind of what it is, but what is a patient experience? The common symptoms of pouchitis usually involve an increase in frequency, often bowel discomfort with going to the bathroom, occasionally associated with incontinence, maybe some increased urgency. Rarely patients will have symptoms of fevers, abdominal cramping. Those are the common hallmark symptoms, so diarrhea, abdominal pain, cramping, urgency. Very rarely patients will have rectal bleeding, for example, or even difficulty evacuating. And those are usually warning signs for us to take a a better look at what's going on and potentially even perineal complications, which once again is a warning sign that we have to take a really different look at the pouch itself. You know, there's a lot of different kind of rules of thumb that we use out there for many different medical conditions. But if I'm a patient listening to this and I have a pouch and I think, okay, well, I'm in that 40 or 55%, whatever number you want to throw out. So does it just happen to me once or can I, is this something that I can expect a bunch of times or what's the process going forward for these people? So most patients who have developed a bout of pouchitis will have a recurrence. Very few of them from the major studies develop a chronic recurrent pouch inflammation which requires long-standing therapy with antibiotics or other agents. And when we talk about pouchitis, we often talk about a continuum disease, and we use antibiotics, which are the mainstay of treatment, as a means to sort of divide pouchitis into patients who respond, patients who don't respond, and patients who are dependent on antibiotics as a means to sort of manage the disease. So we'll kind of just delve in a little bit deeper down that rabbit hole. So just give me a broad overview of what are the kind of types of treatments that are available for patients who are. And before you get to that, How do you diagnose pouchitis? So, I mean, typical symptoms are the most common things. Sometimes the patient will call me with these typical symptoms, but oftentimes the best way or the ideal way to diagnose pouchitis is through an endoscopic evaluation. Sometimes we can't get to that. There are unfortunately not good biomarkers that we can use for the assessment of pouchitis, but we're getting better at understanding a little bit better handle on that. So oftentimes it's usually an endoscopic evaluation in a patient with typical symptoms. And in patients who respond to antibiotics, oftentimes we can say that this is probably just an acute bout of pouchitis that responded. So that's usually how most diagnosis works in terms of pouchitis. In terms of management, I would say that antibiotics tend to be the mainstay of therapy. And there are a variety of antibiotics that have been studied. So the most common ones being ciprofloxacin, metronidazole, but agents, for example, like amoxicillin, clavulinate, rifaximin, vancomycin have all been studied. And a lot of our patients respond really well to a two-week course of antibiotics. Some require longer courses or combination antibiotic therapy, but they respond really well. And most of them only require one or two courses over the course of a year oftentimes. You talked about this earlier and you talked a little bit about patients who have already had about a pouchitis and sought treatment, but is there a kind of, and I know this is really, really broad and, it's, and there's a lot of variability depending on so many different factors, but 
Can you tell us a little bit about some general rule of thumb? I mean, is it is it always antibiotics or do you like to maybe try somebody on a different type of treatment or how do you go about thinking that through? So yeah, so, that, so in many patients, you know, there are adjunctive strategies that we've used and there have been studies, for example, in patients who have developed acute pachitis and have had recurrences to use a probiotic formulation after a course of antibiotics. The common one that we tend to use often is a D-Simone formulation, often labeled as VSL number three or Visibiome oftentimes as a product. And that tends to occasionally prevent the recurrence of pachitis in a lot of our patients. Diet therapy in pouches is sort of really expanding. And we found, for example, some recent studies suggesting that a Mediterranean diet, along with a diet rich in fruits and vegetables, tends to sort of decrease not only inflammation in the pouch, but also recurrent bouts of pouchitis. So there are things that are both dietary strategies that we can use. There are obviously probiotic formulations that we can use. And oftentimes we require more anti-inflammatory benefit as well. So in those situations, we use agents like topical intercord, which have been studied, or budesonide. And even the agent betalizumab, which has been used for the management of pouchitis, and with good effect, actually. So you mentioned a little bit before about patients that have pouchitis. We have a lot of practitioners that listen to our podcast as well. So if it's not pouchitis, what else could this potentially be? Could it just be something you ate, or is it anything else going on? The differential is always quite hard in a patient who's had surgical management of their disease. So when I look at somebody with pouchitis, I often try to categorize, is there pouch inflammation or not? And that's usually my sort of dividing point. And if there is not pouch inflammation, there's a variety of things that can cause pouch dysfunction. Sometimes it can be something as simple as outlet problems, so the inability to defecate appropriately due to pelvic floor issues, or the mechanical aspects of the pouch itself. My colleague, Dr. Stefan Halliburton here, is really looking at how the pouch functions in space, and actually he's looking into the pouch twisting occasionally in the context of issues as the pouch grows. So there's a variety of things that can happen as it relates to the pouch, but oftentimes the decision point really involves getting some blood testing, getting some stool testing occasionally, but also looking at an endoscopic evaluation and really getting a good history from our patients. Are they having difficulty going to the bathroom? Is it really just like them sitting more often than not? Is it fewer bowel movements rather than too many bowel movements? So I really think there's a lot that can be offered in, our, in these sort of things. So any advancements on the horizon in terms of treating pouch inflammation? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I think as we move forward, we're doing a lot of good work here looking at the management of pouch inflammation using biologic therapies. We're part of a large consortium called the PropRD study looking at biologics and the management of chronic pouch inflammation, chronic pouch refractory pouch diseases. As I mentioned earlier in this talk, there really is no good biomarker for the management or the assessment of the pouch. And in many ways, we're trying to evaluate other additional biomarkers, for example, the use in breath, urine, and stool as a means to sort of assess the pouch so we can create a non-invasive means to assess for pouch inflammation. And we don't have to sort of do these pouchoscopy evaluations as often. So I tend to use those as a sort of major strategy. And obviously, a lot of diet research that we're looking at into here as well. And then there's a lot of data coming out about newer medications for the management of chronic pouch inflammation, especially your newer medications that are coming out for inflammatory bowel disease. So now it's time for our quick hitters, a chance to get to know you just a little bit better. So what's your favorite food? I love sushi. I found some really good restaurants on the West Side. I'm a big fan of seafood in general, but I love sushi. And what's your favorite sport to watch and to play? To watch, I would say, is soccer or football, and to play is basketball. But I do also love college football, and I love rowing. So one of the things that I miss most, actually, is rowing on the Cuyahoga, and I have a rower at my home, and my wife and I actually found each other as a part of the rowing team at the University of Michigan. Oh, fantastic. I hope that Michigan lost to Wisconsin. And what <laughs> is your favorite trip that you have been on in the past? 
I recently took my kids to hike. I have two young boys and you're a really younger baby boy as well. But I took them on a hike with me to Cuyahoga National Park. That's the most recent trip that's really coming to me, but I really had a great time with them and we camped. And it was the first time that I actually camped with my two sons. So it was awesome. That leads right into my next question. Tell me something you like about living here in Northeast Ohio. It really is a pleasure to work at a place like the Cleveland Clinic, but Northeast Ohio has diversity, has great sports. I just bought season tickets to the Cavs, so I'm really excited about some of these new basketball games. Tough for the Browns, and I, I, and I tend to go see my team in Ann Arbor occasionally as well, so it's always a good time. A final take-home message for our listeners regarding pouch inflammation or pouchitis. So I think that if I could leave Mark Woodson's with one thing is that pouchitis is common, but we do have good treatment modalities for the management of it. And most of our patients do respond to our initial treatment strategies. In many ways, there are future strategies that are coming out to manage chronic pouch inflammation. And I look forward to working with our patients and trying to manage this disease as we move forward to the new horizon of, of disease assessment. That's excellent. So to schedule an appointment or to learn more about pouch inflammation treatment options here at the Cleveland Clinic, please call the Digestive Disease and Surgery Institute at 216-444-7000. That's 216-444-7000. You can also visit our website at clevelandclinic.org slash digestive. That's clevelandclinic.org slash digestive. Dr. Causey, thanks so much for joining us on Butts and Guts. Thank you. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.